Book Eight, Chapter Eleven of the Fallen Leaves. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Fallen Leaves by Wilkie Collins. Book Eight, Dame Nature Decides. Chapter Eleven. The day on which worthy old Surgeon Pinfold had predicted that Sally would be in a fair way of recovery had come and gone, and still the medical report to Emilius was the same. You must be patient, sir. She is not well enough to see you yet. Toff, watching his young master anxiously, was alarmed by the steadily progressive change in him for the worse, which showed itself at this time, now sad and silent, and now again bitter and irritable, he had deteriorated physically as well as morally until he really looked like the shadow of his former self he never exchanged a word with his faithful old servant except when he said mechanically good morning or good night toff could endure it no longer at the risk of being roughly misinterpreted he followed his own kindly impulse and spoke may i own to you sir he said with perfect gentleness and respect that i am indeed heartily sorry to see you so ill emilius looked up at him sharply you servants always make a fuss about trifles i am a little out of sorts and i want a change that's all perhaps i may go to america you won't like that i shan't complain if you look out for another situation the tears came into the old man's eyes never he answered fervently my last service sir if you send me away shall be my dearly loved service here all that was most tender in the nature of emilius was touched to the quick forgive me toff he said i am lonely and wretched and more anxious about sally than words can tell there can be no change in my life until my mind is easy about that poor little girl but if it does end in my going to america you shall go with me i wouldn't lose you my good friend for the world toff still remained in the room as if he had something left to say entirely ignorant of the marriage engagement between emilius and regina and of the rupture in which it had ended he vaguely suspected nevertheless that his master might have fallen into an entanglement with some lady unknown the opportunity of putting the question was now before him. He risked it in a studiously modest form. "'Are you going to America to be married, sir?' Emilius eyed him with a momentary suspicion. "'What has put that in your head?' he asked. "'I don't know, sir,' Toff answered humbly, "'unless it was my own vivid imagination. "'Would there be anything very wonderful in a gentleman of your age and appearance conducting some charming person to the altar emilius was conquered once more he smiled faintly enough of your nonsense toff i shall never be married understand that toff's withered old face brightened slyly he turned away to withdraw hesitated and suddenly went back to his master have you any occasion for my services sir for an hour or two he asked no be back before i go out myself be back at three o'clock thank you sir my little boy is below if you want anything in my absence 
the little boy dutifully attending toff to the gate observed with grave surprise that his father snapped his fingers gaily at starting and hummed the first bars of the marseillaise something is going to happen said toff's boy on his way back to the house from the regent's park to blackacre buildings is almost a journey from one end of london to the other assisted for part of the way by an omnibus toff made the journey and arrived at the residence of surgeon pinfold with the easy confidence of a man who knew thoroughly well where he was going and what he was about the sagacity of rufus had correctly penetrated his intentions he had privately followed his master and had introduced himself to the notice of the surgeon with a mixture of motives in which pure devotion to the interests of emilius played the chief part his experience of the world told him that sally's departure was only the beginning of more trouble to come what is the use of me to my master he had argued except to spare him trouble in spite of himself surgeon pinfold was prescribing for a row of sick people seated before him on a bench you're not ill are you he said sharply to toff very well then go into the parlor and wait the patients being dismissed toff attempted to explain the object of his visit but the old naval surgeon insisted on clearing the ground by means of a plain question first has your master sent you here or is this another private interview like the last it is all that is most private toff answered my poor master is wasting away in unrelieved wretchedness and suspense something must be done for him oh dear and good sir help me in this most miserable state of things tell me the truth about miss sally old pinfold put his hands in his pockets and leaned against the parlor wall looking at the frenchman with a complicated expression in which genuine sympathy mingled oddly with a quaint sense of amusement you're a worthy chap he said and you shall have the truth i have been obliged to deceive your master about this troublesome young sally i have stuck to it that she is too ill to see him or to answer his letters both lies there is nothing the matter with her now but a disease that i can't cure the disease of a troubled mind she's got it into her head that she has everlastingly degraded herself in his estimation by leaving him and coming here it's no use telling her what mind you is perfectly true that she was all but out of her senses and not in the least responsible for what she did at the time when she did it she holds to her own opinion nevertheless what can he think of me but that i have gone back willingly to the disgrace of my old life i should throw myself out of the window if he came into the room that's how she answers me and what makes matters worse still she's breaking her heart about him all the time the poor wretch is so eager for any little word of news about his health and his doings that it's downright pitiable to see her i don't think her fevered little brain will bear it much longer and hang me if i can tell what to do next to set things right the two women her friends have no sort of influence over her when i saw her this morning she was ungrateful enough to say why didn't you let me die how your master got among these unfortunate people is more than i know and is no business of mine i only wish he had been a different sort of man 
Before I knew him as well as I know him now, I predicted like a fool that he would be just the person to help us in managing the girl. I have altered my opinion. He's such a glorious fellow, so impulsive and so tender-hearted, that he would be certain, in her present excited state, to do her more harm than good. Do you know if he is going to be married? Toff, listening thus far in silent distress, suddenly looked up. Why do you ask me, sir? It's an idle question, I dare say, old Pinfold remarked. Sally persists in telling us she's in the way of his prospects in life, and it's got somehow into her perverse little head that his prospects in life mean his marriage, and she's in the way of that. Hello, are you going already? I want to go to Miss Sally, sir. I believe I can say something to comfort her. Do you think she will see me? Are you the man who has got the nickname of Toff? She sometimes talks about Toff. Yes, sir, yes. I am Theophile Le Blonde, otherwise Toff. Where can I find her? Sergeant Pinfold rang a bell. My errand boy is going past the house to deliver some medicine, he answered. It's a poor place, but you'll find it neat and nice enough, thanks to your good master. He's helping the two women to begin life again out of this country, and while they're waiting their turn to get a passage, they've taken an extra room and hired some decent furniture, by your master's own wish. Oh, here's the boy. He'll show you the way. One word before you go. What do you think of saying to Sally? I shall tell her, for one thing, sir, that my master is miserable for want of her. Sergeant Pinfold shook his head. That won't take you very far on the way to persuading her. You will make her miserable, too, and there's about all you will get by it. Toff lifted his indicative forefinger to the side of his nose. Suppose I tell her something else, sir. Suppose I tell her my master is not going to be married to anybody. She won't believe you know anything about it. She will believe for this reason, said Toff gravely. I put the question to my master before I came here, and I have it from his own lips that there is no young lady in the way, and that he is not, positively not, going to be married. If I tell Miss Sally this, sir, how do you say it will end? Will you bet me a shilling it has no effect on her? I won't bet a farthing. Follow the boy and tell young Sally I have sent her a better doctor than I am. While Toff was on his way to Sally, Toff's boy was disturbing Amelius by the announcement of a visitor. The card sent in bore this inscription, Brother Bockwell from Tadmore. Amelius looked at the card and ran into the hall to receive the visitor, with both hands held out in hearty welcome. Oh, I am so glad to see you, he cried. Come in and tell me all about Tadmore. Brother Bockwell acknowledged the enthusiastic reception offered to him by a stare of grim surprise. He was a dry, hard old man, with a scrubby white beard, a narrow wrinkled forehead, and an obstinate lipless mouth, fitted neither by age nor temperament to be the intimate friend of any of his younger brethren among the community. But at that saddest time of his life, the heart of Emilius warmed to any one who reminded him of his tranquil and happy days at Tadmore. 
even this frozen old socialist now appeared to him for the first time under the borrowed aspect of a welcome friend brother bockwell took the chair offered to him and opened the proceedings in solemn silence by looking at his watch twenty-five minutes past two he said to himself and put the watch back again are you pressed for time emilius asked much may be done in ten minutes brother bulkwell answered in a scotch accent which had survived the test of half a lifetime in america i would have you know i am in england on a mission from the community with a list of twenty-seven persons in all whom i am appointed to confer with on matters of varying importance yours friend emilius is a matter of minor importance i can give you ten minutes he opened a big black pocket-book stuffed with a mass of letters and placing two of them on the table before him addressed emilius as if he was making a speech at a public meeting i have to request your attention to certain proceedings of the council at tadmore bearing date the third of december last and referring to a person under sentence of temporary separation from the community along with yourself mellicent emilius exclaimed we have no time for interruptions brother bockwell remarked the person is sister mellicent and the business before the council was to consider a letter under her signature received december second said letter he proceeded taking up one of his papers is abridged as follows by the secretary to the council in substance the writer states first that the married sister under whose protection she has been living at new york is about to settle in england with her husband appointed to manage the branch of his business established in london second that she meaning sister mellicent has serious reasons for not accompanying her relatives to england and has no other friends to take charge of her welfare if she remains in new york third that she appeals to the mercy of the council under these circumstances to accept the expression of her sincere repentance for the offence of violating a rule and to permit a friendless and penitent creature to return to the only home left to her her home at tadmore no friend emilius we have no time for expressions of sympathy the first half of the ten minutes has nearly expired i have further to notify you that the question was put to the vote in this form is it consistent with the serious responsibility which rests on the council to consider the remission of any sentence justly pronounced under the book of rules the result was very remarkable the votes for and against being equally divided in this event as you know our laws provide that the decision rests with the elder brother who gave his vote thereupon for considering the remission of the sentence and moved the next resolution that the sentence be remitted accordingly carried by a small majority whereupon sister mellicent was received again at tadmore ah the dear old elder brother cried emilius always on the side of mercy brother bockwell held up his hand in protest you seem to have no idea he said of the value of time do be quiet 
as travelling representative of the council i am further instructed to say that the sentence pronounced against yourself stands duly remitted in consequence of the remission of the sentence against sister mellicent you likewise are free to return to tadmor at your own will and pleasure but attend to what is coming friend amelius the council holds to its resolution that your choice between us and the world shall be absolutely unbiased in the fear of exercising even an indirect influence we have purposely abstained from corresponding with you with the same motive we now say that if you do return to us it must be with no interference on our part we inform you of an event that has happened in your absence and we do no more he paused and looked again at his watch time proverbially works wonders time closed his lips amelius replied with a heavy heart the message from the council had recalled him from the remembrance of melisande to the sense of his own position my experience of the world has been a very hard one he said i would gladly go back to tadmor this very day but for one consideration he hesitated the image of sally was before him the tears rose in his eyes he said no more Brother Balkwell, driven hard by time, got on his legs and handed to Emilius the second of the two papers which he had taken out of his pocket-book. Here is a purely informal document, he said, being a few lines from Sister Mellicent, which I was charged to deliver to you. Be pleased to read it as quickly as you can and tell me if there is any reply. There was not much to read. The good people here, Emilius, have forgiven me and let me return to them. I am living happily now, dear, in my remembrances of you. I take the walks that we once took together, and sometimes I go out in the boat on the lake and think of the time when I told you my sad story. Your poor little pet creatures are under my care, the dog and the fawn and the birds, all well and waiting for you with me my belief that you will come back to me remains the same unshaken belief that it has been from the first once more i say it you will find me the first to welcome you when your spirits are sinking under the burden of life and your heart turns again to the friends of your early days until that time comes think of me now and then good-bye i am waiting said brother balkwell taking his hat in his hand amelius answered with an effort thank her kindly in my name he said that is all his head drooped while he spoke he fell into thought as if he had been alone in the room but the emissary from tadmor warned by the minute hand on the watch recalled his attention to passing events you would do me a kindness said brother balkwell producing a list of names and addresses if you could put me in the way of finding the person named eighth from the top it's getting on towards twenty minutes to three the address thus pointed out was at no great distance on the northern side of the regent's park amelius still silent and thoughtful acted willingly as a guide please thank the council for their kindness to me he said when they reached their destination brother balkwell looked at friend amelius with a calm inquiring eye i think you'll end in coming back to us he said i'll take the opportunity when i see you at tadmor of making a few needful remarks on the value of time Amelius went back to the cottage to see if Toff had returned in his absence before he paid his daily visit to Surgeon Pinfold. He called down the kitchen stairs. Are you there, Toff? And Toff answered briskly, At your service, sir. 
The sky had become cloudy and threatened rain. Not finding his umbrella in the hall, Emilius went into the library to look for it. As he closed the door behind him, Toff and his boy appeared on the kitchen stairs, both walking on tiptoe, and both evidently on the watch for something. Emilius found his umbrella, but it was characteristic of the melancholy change in him that he dropped languidly into the nearest chair, instead of going out at once with the easy activity of happier days. Sally was in his mind again. He was rousing his resolution to set the doctor's commands at defiance and to insist on seeing her, come what might of it. He suddenly looked up. A slight sound had startled him. It was a faint rustling sound, and it came from the sadly silent room which had once been Sally's. He listened and heard it again. He sprang to his feet. His heart beat wildly. He opened the door of the room. She was there. Her hands were clasped over her fast-heaving breast. She was powerless to look at him, powerless to speak to him, powerless to move towards him until he opened his arms to her. Then all the love and all the sorrow in the tender little heart flowed outward to him in a low murmuring cry. She hid her blushing face on his bosom. The rosy color softly tinged her neck, the unspoken confession of all she feared and all she hoped. It was a time beyond words. They were silent in each other's arms. But under them, on the floor below, the stillness in the cottage was merrily broken by an outburst of dance music, with a rhythmical thump-thump of feet, keeping time to the cheerful tune. Toff was playing his fiddle, and Toff's boy was dancing to his father's music. End of Book 8 Chapter 11